Hello and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today as always are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 12, which is titled True Lies. The episode aired on January 25th, 1996. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? The programming language Java is released for public use. It remains one of the most popular programming languages to this day. And full of viruses don't use it. Truth. I can't believe that it was only out in 96. That's what the research told me. So Crazy. Um, MLB owners unanimously approve the concept of interleague play, allowing for regular season games to be played between the National and American Leagues. Most notably for Chicago fans, it finally allowed meaningful games to be played between the Cubs and White Sox for the first time since the 1906 World Series. NBC series Third Rock from the Sun debuts. Did either of you watch that? I watched it when I was a kid. I haven't revisited it. Yeah, same. My parents watched a lot of it, and I, I absorbed a lot of it through osmosis. Yeah, yeah. I, I went back and watched a couple episodes in the last couple years, and it's, it's definitely got some edgelord humor to it. Well, I mean, as Joseph Gordon-Levitt, so of course it will. And it's not from him, but um, <laughs> From Dusk Till Dawn takes the number one spot at the box office. And One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men is still the number one song. The rain will da- never end. Yeah, that day gets a little less sweet every week. Thank you for making the joke so I didn't have to. <laughs> All right, this week we dip just ever so slightly down from our 37 million viewers from last week down to 34.6 million. Cancel the show, why don't you? Uh, directed this week by Leslie Gladder, who uh, also directed And Baby Makes Two from earlier this season. And this one is written by Lance Gentile, who uh, wrote Another Perfect Day and Blizzard, as well as Love's Labor Lost in season one pretty good track record yeah yeah i was gonna say it's it's sort of surprising to me that you know spoilers this one is such a like filler kind of nothing episode that you know you have this guy who wrote some really heavy hitters from season one and this one's just kind of a very ho-hum episode yeah agreed and i mean there's a couple points in here where we're very much gonna say okay yeah this must have he must have had his hand on this but overall it does not read like some of his other episodes yeah So the episode itself opens up with Mark waking Rachel up in his new bachelor pad. Um, Mark says he made her eggs in the window for breakfast. And I've always heard it called eggs in a basket. Yeah, that's what it was called when I was growing up. That's how I I still call it whenever I make it. My my mom referred to it as egg in a nest, so I feel like it's, it's all kind of the same thing. But eggs in the window just sounds weird to me. Anyway, again, me being queen of pedantic takes... And Rachel says something, I'm not a squeezer. I don't know what that means. It was just a really odd line that just I had to make note of. And then Mark is talking on the phone with Jen, saying he won't agree with to anything until his lawyer looks at it, talking about the, you know, divorce papers and custody arrangement. And Jen will pick Rachel up at two. And <laughs> we get we get Rachel's sweet, sweet um, child takes today. There's a few of them. If mommy said she was sorry, would you stop being mad at her? When are you moving back to Milwaukee? And when you move back home, will you build me the fish tank and help me take care of the fish every day? So clearly they have not told Rachel shit. I like how he immediately tries to distract her with pancakes. Too. He's like, let's go get pancakes. Let's stop talking about this. Because she says she doesn't like eggs. So he's like, you do like eggs. Anything to get you to stop asking me these painful, heartbreaking questions. All right. So then we go from there to Ruby. Ruby is back uh, with his wife, um, who's looking much better. You know, they they kind of ultimately ended up going with the treatment that they knew was not a long-term fix. So she is improving, but that's not going to last, we know. But Carter at this point, or Ruby at this point, is the last one to know that. Like, Carter hasn't really clued him in on that. That's going to be a major, major through line throughout this episode. But Carter's attitude is just, let's get her transferred to another facility, wash my hands of this. As soon as they're out the door, they're not my problem anymore. So they're transferring her to a nursing home up in Evanston. Um, and then Vuselich, as they're like escorting her out, you know, Vuselich kind of hands it off to Carter, says Carter will answer any further questions Ruby has, which <laughs> Carter's none too happy about because Ruby is like attached at his hip. Um we also find out in this scene that Benton is being invited to a dinner party that Vuselich is throwing tonight, which is going to be another through line that we'll get through the rest of the episode. 
Flashback over to Carter where he's getting Ruby listing all of his concerns. You know, she's not walking uh, very well yet. Uh, she's worried about worried about pneumonia. Ruby manages to sneak in a super racist little jab at Asian doctors, uh, saying that they know egg rolls, but they don't know medicine. Great. Thanks, Ruby. Um, and then he just, you know, reiterates his love for Carter on his way out. He says, God bless Dr. Carter. What a boy. What a boy. And then Carter insists to Ruby once more that his wife is going to be fine, knowing full well that she's not, which leads us straight into the intro with some more bangs. Uh, not a great okay. look for Carter. Okay. Can we just talk for a second about one one thing I despise about this episode? It's Please. Carter's sudden about face. Like, he was fine with Ruby the entire fucking time before, like, was being genuinely sweet. And then, like, over the course of, like, what, one episode, maybe, like, a week of time in the show, he's a dick to Ruby. Holy shit, this episode. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's not Carter's best, uh, not his finest hour. It just makes, it's just such a whiplash character turn that just makes no sense to me. And, like, this is, is this... The, is this episode like the resolution of this story of this particular arc of this story because i know because ruby will come back in later seasons come back to haunt carter in his own way mm-hmm. um not literally but <laughs> i believe so i believe there i, I want to say this is it for now um once we get to the end of the episode you know obviously ruby's going to be with us for a bit uh, a lot of this episode um, but I want to say that this is kind of the wrap up to it. And it's, there's the big speech at the end from Ruby that really kind of haunts Carter, like you said. And uh, yeah, it's it's again, we're, we've seen that before in this in, in this season, too, like with with uh, Doug earlier on, like he just sort of all of a sudden wakes up one day and is grumpy and a sad boy. And that carries through for like two or three episodes and then he's back to being Clooney and I feel like it's a similar type of thing here where you know Carter's being sweet doe-eyed baby Carter where he's he just wants to do nothing more than help the patient and do what's best for the patient and then all of a sudden he goes like dark side Carter for some reason where now now he's impatient now he is you know I don't know it's just it, it seems out of character in a very sudden jarring way and that's it's it's just doesn't make for a satisfying episode yeah i had a listener point out the sad boy doug thing when you Mm -hmm. put it in the big perspective of the two season arcs it makes a little bit more sense if you look at kind of his full thing of you know him losing the woman he loves her about to marry somebody else her not marrying that person and then, like, him really having to settle into just being friends, and then, you know, the violent outbursts with patients, things like that, it really kind of points to him having some undiagnosed depression that he's not dealing with, with the drinking and partying and outbursts. It's more, so more I, of a slow burn. Right. The argument can be made that if you look at his full arc, that it, it could have been a very slow burn building up, but they really just draw attention to it in those couple episodes. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, I, I could see that. You know, I, I think I would, I think I would agree with that to a certain degree. But it, like you said, it's the focus kind of hones in on it so abruptly in that one episode uh, just before Hell and High Water that it's, it's just sort of, it's just jarring. Like, to if you're gonna do the slow burn, do the slow burn. But then it seems like they accelerate the burn at the very end there and and kind of rush rush the ending somewhat but but that's neither here nor there we're, we're talking about carter in this one and and just a, a quick point on ruby we will get one more episode or one more appearance out of ruby uh this season i don't think it's the next one but it might be the one after before he finally does come back for one last appearance um in 2005 so he'll be back about nine seasons later which is kind of crazy to think about it was actually his it was actually red button's last appearance of any kind um, was his ER mm-hmm. appearance in 2005. So we'll we'll have Ruby for one more appearance this season and then we'll get him a few years down the road. Right. I would have to agree though. I do not I do not like Jackass Carter that we get in this episode. No. Yeah. It's it's no good for anybody. Um, but we go f- quickly from there out of the intro. Uh, Mark is bringing Rachel into work with him. Susan's kind of coming in around the same time with little Susie. So Rachel asks if she can hold little Susie, which uh, Susan seems a little apprehensive about, but she's like, yeah, as long as you're super careful. 
and when she does rachel's face just kind of lights up and mark remarks that's the first smile i've seen all morning they are uh planning on going ice skating after mark finishes up his little errand here at the hospital and uh so he convinces susan who has a ton of work to catch up on he convinces susan to come join them which is not uh not what rachel had in mind i think rachel had in mind that she was going to get some daddy daughter time and also too she's dealing with the whole like divorce feelings that she doesn't really fully understand or even fully like hasn't fully been let in on the scope of just yet so there's a there's some territorial stuff going on with Rachel and Susan here, and, and that definitely will play itself out as we as we go along here. But that's where we leave them for now. Yeah, I remember when um when I was really young, right after my parents had gotten divorced, and I was this much of a brat. The joke I would say with my stepdad when he and my mom started dating was that I was going to break his hip, and that was somebody I actually knew was dating my mom. This is just Rachel not liking any women being around her dad right now. Yeah. Feeling a little threatened. A little bit. A little bit confused. A little bit topsy-turvy. And we find out Doug's dad has still been calling, and Doug's like, there's nothing I want to say to him. But he is currently staying at a hotel, which Doug notes is one step up from a refrigerator box. Now we have, our, next up, we have our first audio clip for you. Uh, Carter is trying to pressure Benton to find a date other than his sister, other than Benton's sister, Jackie, for Vuselich's little uh, dinner gathering of surgeons. So let's listen in. Carter, where you been? I've been seeing patients. Vieselich's data sheet. Huh. Tomorrow morning before rounds. Right. Rubidoux's discharge summary? Oh, that is in your box. I finally, finally turfed her. Husband drove you nuts, huh? You have no idea. So, who are you taking tonight? What? To Vieselich's big dinner party. Nobody. Nobody? You gotta take somebody. No, I don't. Yeah, you do. You said bring a guest, and that sounded like an order. I don't know. I was thinking maybe Jackie. Your sister? You're kidding, right? You can't take your sister. Why not? Well, it just seems kind of... Kind of what? Pathetic. What about, uh... Carter. I can find my own damn dates. Okay, fine. It's gonna be a bunch of surgeons and their trophy wives and you. <laughs> your sister. Inwood and hernia repair was discharged yesterday. Kids recover fast? Yeah. Seem to be keeping you pretty busy down here. Aerobic medicine. You should see me crawl home every night. Yeah, well, um, if you're not too tired tonight, Dr. Vieslich, this vascular surgeon that I've been assisting. I know who Dr. Vieslich is. Only he's having some colleagues over to his house for dinner. It's not a social thing, it's mostly surgeons. Peter, are you asking me to dinner? It's a hospital function. As opposed to a date. What time do we need to be there? It starts at 8. He lives on North Lake Shore. I can pick you up at 7.30. I'll meet you there. It's not a date. Do we want to handle the actual thing first before I have the earworm that bothers me? <laughs> no, please. Get Hit us with your uh, little pedantic... <laughs> This, it still bothered me, even listening to the clip there. The way Benton says it, North Lake Shore, he puts the emphasis on shore. I've always heard it as North Lake Shore. You always put the emphasis on lake. And it just, every time he says it, it just sounds so odd to me. Lizzie, as a native Chicagoan, would you agree that I'm... No, I'd agree. For sure. It's pedantic as shit, and I apologize, guys, but it was it just sounds so foreign. No. Living in the city. North Lake Shore. No, North that, Lake that sounds Shore. wrong. North Lake Shore. Yeah. You that's... put it on lake, not shore. Yeah. Put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. syllable. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So I just had to get that out of the way. <laughs> this is the one little bit in this scene is the one little dabble of kind of Dick Carter that we get in this episode that I actually enjoy because it's at Benton's expense where he's sort of like dangling this thing over Benton's head that and that, that fucking like almost supervillain laugh he does before as he's walking away is uh at that that's the one bit of this like dark side carter that i think i enjoy from this episode it does continue the thread though of being very out of character for carter like he would never laugh in benton's face like that yeah yeah he certainly is uh he's, he's getting braver that's for sure i mean i think he's done it before but like never to that extent like i don't think right. he's ever done it 
so blatantly where it's like I'm laughing at you because I think this is funny but yeah I think part of it is probably having seen Benton get like not pawed down by Vucilich but kind of seeing Benton be subordinate to somebody else has kind yeah. of given Carter a little bit higher view of the pecking order I think it's the first time too that he's ever seen Benton like he's seen Benton feel threatened before like by Langworthy uh, back in season one but I think this is the first time he's ever seen Benton be intimidated. And I think that's what Vuselich is to Benton, is, is an intimidation figure. Like, he's an intimidating figure to him. He's he's intimidated by his stature and his his presence, and, like, he wants to impress him. And so it kind of puts him in the Carter shoes a little bit, and to Carter being on the other side of that relationship. Of course he's going to find that funny, because to him, Benton is the end-all, be-all. Everybody's got a boss, so... Uh, so we go from there to our first trauma of the episode. We've got a uh, motor vehicle accident coming in on the ambulance. A guardrail pinned a guy to his seat uh, in the accident. So they basically just saw the seat out of the car and strap him to the gurney in the ambulance w- with the seat still attached. Um, so when they bring him into the trauma room, they're like, we need a custodian to help saw the chair off. So a guy comes in with a just a handsaw, and they're like, yeah, get him a gown. Let's go. Like, So this is... This is going to be... We're going to come back to this trauma in a minute. But yeah, we're off to a great start, guys. Yeah. This, this whole... this That whole just seeing him like laying on his side with the thing going through his chest. Like, <laughs> it's not small. Like, no. how the fuck is this dude alive? And like, when yeah. they like get him up to like the OR a little later on, they're like, they're like just like wiggling it out. It's just like, huh? like how, how is, it's this, got, is this dude alive? It's got to be at least three by three. At, at least. It's huge. And just... I don't, I don't even know that I I don't understand the human body. <laughs> That's why we're podcasters, not doctors. Hooray. Staying in our lane. <laughs> <laughs> so then we we check in on Susan, Rachel and Mark all skating and Rachel is continuing to be a brat to Susan saying she doesn't want help tying her skates and that she wants to tie her skates the way her mommy ties her skates and just having none of it. And as they're skating, I noticed my office in the background. And I have not been to my office since March. It is mid-June as we are recording this. I have not been to my office in three months. I miss my office. Can we also talk about Susan's, like, Russian guard hat that she wears with the flaps? Yes. And, like, that, is a, that is quite a hat. It's an, it's an Ushanka, right? I think I fucking know. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I don't. It's, it's, funny hat is as far as I got. I'm looking right now. Yeah, it's an Ushanka. <laughs> it's, a, it's a look. But yeah, so they they have a lovely time out skating. So we go from there back to the original trauma, uh, the guy with the guardrail through his chest. Carter comes bursting through the doors screaming, gown me, and someone appropriately throws it right into his face. Gotta love that. Um, <laughs> he's wearing some suspenders, some pretty pretty noticeable, right, right up Lauren's alley. Lauren, I'm sure, was very happy to see the suspenders make a comeback. I was. Uh, Thank you for noticing. <laughs> we get an appearance of Dr. Hicks, who we have not seen in a few episodes. She uh, will will play a decent sized part, at least in the upcoming uh, surgery that um, this guy's going to go through. So it's nice mm-hmm. to see her back. Uh, we cut over from there to Ruby is back. Uh, the ambulance never made it to the uh, nursing home in Evanston. They had to turn around because Helen passed out in the ambulance with chest pain. And they were going to take her to a hospital that was closer, but Ruby insisted that they bring her back to county so that she could be seen by Dr. Carter. And Carter just looks crestfallen, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Like, he just looks, he just looks like, oh, God, like, miserable. He looks like he just wants to scream, just, motherfucker, like, like, and wants to throw something. Thought I I was done with this. Yeah, like, again, going back to the whole thing of him treating this, this whole situation like a nuisance rather than anything else like it's it is a very strange shift in tone for carter yeah now here's my question because i have her name written down as helen here but as sylvie later on what the heck is mrs rubidoux's first name (laughs) she's credited in the episode as mrs rubidoux so of course she is yeah i don't know that i don't know that there's a good answer to that it could be that sylvie is a nickname maybe her middle name is sylvia or i i don't know but they 
But they do call her Helen, too, at some point, right? They do, yeah. They, they okay. call her both. They call her both, which uh, either they lost track of it in the writing process or it's a nickname. And Cause we're never given the backstory on it. I was concerned that I had I had lost the thread during my note taking and I just wanted to make sure that I hadn't missed something or gotten something wrong there. Yeah, no, you you're right. It's it's definitely Helen here and then Sylvie later on. So either a little continuity error or something that was left unexplained. Thank you for confirming. Uh, and then afterwards we got over we cut over um E-Ray's back just Yay. out of nowhere. Um he was working behind the counter while oh Baby Jerry has the flu. Well, he's not Baby Jerry, but Mr. <laughs> but our main man Jerry has uh, is down with the flu. So E-Ray is taking a shift behind the desk as a clerk. Um, you know, everyone's sort of like questioning, like, do you know how to do this? And he's like, oh, yeah, I have tons of experience doing stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, E-Ray does everything. <laughs> and, you know, they're trying to get Rachel set up, in the, uh, set up in the lounge and trying to find someone to look after her for a little bit. And E-Ray jumps in and is like, oh, yeah, I'm a licensed Illinois daycare worker. I can do it. Yeah. Is there anything this man can't do? Because like he's like the Swiss Army man of the ER. He can't be a nurse. I mean, he can. It's just he can't be a, like a very good one necessarily. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I just love how he perks up. Like, yeah, I'm, an Illinois, I'm a licensed Illinois daycare worker. I've got this. And it's just the way he says it. He's so proud and matter of fact. E-Ray is this, uh, is this episode's MacGuffin. Yes. He's there conveniently to solve every, all of your problem. But she, but he can't get Rachel's parents back together. Oh, no. Um, eh, they don't deserve each other. Only the magic of Christmas can do that. Oh, no, it's January. Shit. So Hicks and Benton are in surgery with the car accident patient. Um, Benton is pushing for the aggressive treatment of the clamp and run. Clamp and pull? Clamp and run? Clamp and run, yeah. Thank you. Pushing for the clamp and run instead of waiting to get, um, waiting for Vucelich or waiting to get this patient on bypass because he says they don't have enough time. He can have it done. He's assisted on enough. Like, let me do this. I got this. I've assisted on five. I've done two myself. Like, I know what I'm doing. And Hicks cautiously gives him the green light. She's like, well, all right, guys, keep trying Vucelich, but let's get started. So we'll see what comes of that a little bit later. And then from there, we cut over. We get our second trauma of the episode. A lady being brought in by the ambulance who was found passed out at a bar. You can smell. She's got the smell of alcohol on her breath. Uh, Susan remarking, is that bourbon or scotch? Uh, she's a middle-aged woman. Uh, they bring her into the trauma room. They're going to have to tube her. As they're getting ready to tube her, Susan is again like kind of over her mouth, kind of wafting the smell. And she's like, definitely bur- definitely bourbon. Uh, they defibrillate her, get her stable. We happen to notice Lauren's films are still up on the the X-ray uh, screen behind everybody in the trauma room there. As they're searching her belongings, trying to find an ID, they come across her wallet and her driver's license uh, to discover her name is Barbara Dean. And today is her 50th birthday. And uh, I believe it's Lily, who is weirdly featured more than ever before in this trauma. Like, she is like, f- Lily the nurse is like front and center in this trauma. They cut to her like close-ups on her face over and over again for all of the uh, particulars, like what's her blood pressure, what's her pulse ox, all the stuff. Like they just keep cutting over to Lily way more than I feel like they ever have before. Um, but I believe it's her who says she looks like she did all her partying on the front end. So Barbara Dean is going to be another one of the patients we s- kind of have a through line with. We don't really get to do much of anything with Barbara herself. We're going to see more from a family member of hers who will pop up a little bit later on. Um, but she's going to be our other kind of through line patient for the episode. All right. And then our next audio is up next. Uh, we have uh, Ruby talking to his wife as she's in the trauma room. So getting good returns. Sylvie. She needs a phone. Come on, honey. I'm right here, sweetheart. Let me sit this down. Sylvie, please. She's not responding. She may have had a small stroke. Stroke? Can you be careful of the sterile field? She had a stroke? It's really too early to tell that. She was fine until I took her to the nursing home. Ruby, please give us room to work, okay? What happened, Dr. Carter? Uh, did she leave the hospital too soon? I'll uh, be back in a minute. Stroke? We are going to take very good care of her. So I wanted to pull that just because it shows you a little bit of just how cold Carter has turned towards Ruby. Just completely brushing him off the entire time. Yeah. And then Jeannie's there 
being the nice one and yeah. being supportive for him. Yeah, Genie really does a good job uh, sort of running, I don't know if you want to call it interference, but like being the good cop to, to Carter's bad cop this episode. Yes, she's definitely, for the parlance of the time, the good cop to Carter's bad cop. It's a saying. I know. I don't mean they're literal police officers, because then I'd hate them. I but... know. So then from there, we go back to the admit desk. Uh, E-Ray is looking after Rachel. He's got her looking at a medical textbook uh, of skin lesions, uh, which Green kind of scopes out and is like, uh, maybe this is not such a good idea to have a you know five or six-year-old, whatever Rachel is at this point, uh, looking at pictures of skin lesions but i couldn't help but wonder if this is a little bit of seed planting for the future dr green dr rachel green so hmm. come back to that in uh oh 14 seasons <laughs> 13 seasons <laughs> like two episodes before the end i think i don't know yeah i thought it was like the very last episode wasn't it i think so it's i, I know that's what i know that's the first time she gets called dr green is the finale but that's like the last line i think but um, spoilers for the last line of the entire series oh darn forget about that sometime over the next five years but then susan tries to get barbara's daughter on the line daughter will not come in we find out that barbara is a repeat customer she's been in with a myriad of issues over the past um few years and just not taking very good care of herself um no we uh more concerns in the suture room looking looking mighty fine how do they describe his outfit they think he's cross-dressing yeah they think he's dressed as a catholic schoolgirl. yeah but we will we will come back to that in just a minute and it's almost better where what he actually ends up doing yeah so we'll I, was, get... I was real worried there for a minute yeah so, I, I don't know i have a, i have uh not a like retort to that but like do they really th- honestly think that he's cross-dressing or is it just that the way carol describes it is that she's fucking with Clooney? because she describes it as he's wearing a catholic schoolgirl outfit almost as if like she's trying to get Clooney's attention but like i don't know I that they that genuinely mean... think that he's cross-dressing I don't, I don't know about I, that necessarily, but I mean, that's how I took it. I, I think they I think they genuinely think so, because they seem shocked when they find out that it's a kilt and he's Scottish. Yeah. Which, we'll get there, but... Yeah, fair enough. So, I I think the team, just at first glance, is like, it's a schoolgirl outfit, and then they find out, and it's almost funnier. But um, we have Benton working on the clamp and run in surgery. He totally fucks it up. Vucelich gets there just in time to fix it and kind of boots him off the surgery where he just has to stand and watch like a sad little puppy. Hicks is like, I apologize. I allowed Benton's enthusiasm to cloud my better judgment. And Vucelich is like, we've all been there. And they just get to fixing it. And then from there, another shitty moment. Carter asks Jeannie if Ruby is still hanging around and Ruby immediately shows up and Carter just tries to blow him off again. Like, oh, I got to go do this. Just doesn't want to give him any answers. Doesn't want to be accountable for Ruby's wife's health. Doesn't want to give him the time of day at all. Then moving on to a more lighthearted affair, we have our next audio clip. Uh, more, uh, we we are gonna visit with Morgan Stern in the suture room. Yeah, another adolescent fantasy shot to hell. Nice knees. Hey, you guys, we get an eight by ten glossy. None of us will ever work holidays again. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, two boys playing in the street, hit by a car, paramedics are two minutes out. Man, I miss all the fun stuff. Come on, Carol. Why me? I don't get to see, you don't get to see. That's not fair. You care to join me, Dr. Lewis? Oh, I'd be delighted, Dr. Green. Mark, Susan, thank God, I'm feeling a bit foolish. No doubt. What's the problem? Oh, showing off, tossing the caber. I clunked myself, the buffet table, and my great aunt, Jean Ferguson. caber big telephone pole thing you pick it up and you and it's not light mind you and you flip it upside down or you you try to the highland games burn supper my legs killing me so that's a kilt well of course it's a what else would it (laughs) i see what you're saying well, that would be embarrassing. <laughs> Russian Jew on my father's side. Full-blooded Highland Scott on my mother's. Ow, 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 ow. Uh, yeah, it's probably broken. Oh, damn. All right, so I guess based on that line from Morgan Stern, I guess I, I guess I can see your point, Lizzie. Yeah, 
they they thought he was in a schoolgirl outfit. Maybe Clooney should have that fantasy shot down for him. Because <laughs> that one's just kind of creepy overall, you know? Did we pick up in this scene, either of you, the fact that Morgan Stern's drunk? A like, little did, bit. Did oh, that yeah. come across? Because it didn't come across for me until a little bit later on in the episode when he really starts playing it up. Here, it's just sort of oh, like yeah. he just is regular old Morgan Stern, but happens to be wearing a kilt. But later on, it seems like yeah. he's really playing up the drunk thing. I thought he said, like, I kind of got, like, hints of his character from uh, Shameless in there. <laughs> yeah. like, because that's sort of like the drawl that his character from Shameless has. There. Which, if you haven't checked out that show, definitely do. It's on Netflix. It's it's every, everyone on that show is a walking disaster, but it's it's basically just like you like watching human car crashes. It's a beautiful show. All right. So we go from there to uh, Benton, who is canceling his dinner plans with Jeannie after the surgery didn't go so well. He's a little embarrassed and is kind of just assuming that he's going to be disinvited from dinner. Uh, so he tells Jeannie not to bother but we'll come back to that. Then we get our third trauma of the episode, which is a twofer. We get two brothers, nine and seven, uh, who were sketching on moving cars to skid on the ice, grabbing the back bumpers uh, of moving cars to skid around on the ice. We have Noah and Kenny. Uh, Noah has a road rash and a left wrist wrist fracture. Kenny is not so lucky. He needs to have surgery. Uh, they're giving him a peritoneal lavage in the trauma room. As they're kind of working on them, I believe it's Carol who remarks um, that she recognizes Noah. And she says, Noah, you've been in here before, right? Um, And it didn't immediately click with me in the moment um, who or what she might have been referring to. But it becomes abundantly clear as we kind of go along here. It's definitely uh, Noah as well as uh, his dad are definitely some folks we've seen before. So we'll come back to them. Uh, But we go over from there to... Ruby Ruby is in the lobby like next to the admit desk using the payphone um which I think it's funny that they have a payphone right outside of the phone like booth room but um mm-hmm. he's talking on the phone and he wants Carter to come to the phone to explain the situation to his I believe it's his sister's upstairs neighbor who lives in Miami who's a doctor or was a doctor um and Carter is just like like his the look on his face is just like get me out of here like he's like i'll take down a number i'll call him back like and kind of scurries away and it's just it's just like somebody kill me please yeah like i'm not i'm not happy about the turn of events with carter's personality in this episode but there are sort of times where ruby comes on a bit strong and doesn't really know how to navigate the boundaries and you know but he's also kind of in a bit of a crisis at the moment and is spiraling so I get that too and it's just a it's a shitty situation on on all fronts yeah um speaking of shitty situations we go back to Barbara Dean and uh she took her own intubation tube out generally not a good idea yeah which Susan you know was telling her Susan's also asking her apparently uh, Ms. Dean has a DNR in her records, so some of the repeat customer stuff coming back up and her old charts. Um, and Susan's just asking her to reconsider it, you know, because she's only 50. But uh, Barbara refuses, so we'll come back to them in a little bit. And then we have Benton, after the shame of his surgery, goes over to um, Vucelich's assistant and lets her know that he won't be at the dinner because he has something's come up. And she's like, nope, unless you are, like, fatally ill and you will be dead by 11 o'clock, you will be at that dinner because Marion doesn't like empty chairs at her dinner parties and you were filling in for a last-minute cancellation. So you will be there. Oof. That's gonna be a shot to the ego right there. Yeah, he already felt like ass, and that just probably adds to it. Then we have our... We have a little bit more... A little bit more Morgan Stern for you. This time he's practicing his bagpipes. Any word for my wife? On her way. What, is someone poking out a cat's eye in there? I told him it was okay to practice. It looks like you have a non-displaced fracture of the distal fibula. Damn. You're gonna need a cast. I'm gonna miss the haggis. Boys will be disappointed. Uh Uh-huh. I'll call ortho. I was supposed to cut it. Great honor. Nephews, we're gonna pipe me in and everything. Even memorize Robbie Burns to a haggis. Uh-huh. His knife, see rustic labor dight, 
and cut you up with ready sight. Yeah, this is green in the yard. Like a distant hill, your pen would help to mend a mill in time of need, while through your pores the dews distill like amber bead. <laughs> this is the most enjoyable Morgan's turn has ever been. I'm sorry. I, I have enjoyed him more in the last 10 minutes than I have it ever. I like drunk Morgan's turn. Drunk William H. Macy really is best William H. Macy. <laughs> in terms of acting, at least. So, Yeah. He makes mention in his little speech here that they were celebrating uh, Robbie Burns Day, a Scottish holiday celebration. Uh, and fun fact, this episode actually aired on Robbie Burns Day, January 25th. Oh, interesting. And then, so Benton, when he had canceled din- when he had tried to cancel dinner, had let Jeannie know, like, oh, can't do it. I have a surgery that ran long and I need to do post care for that patient runs back to her and it's like dinner's back on see you at eight like <laughs> just completely back and forth with her and she's like all right fine cool bye and then um we go into the lounge and malik is playing jacks with rachel just like keeping an eye on her just hanging out dr green it's like oh you know thanks appreciate you doing this and he goes okay rachel i'll be back in a little bit and she goes no you won't rude what a precocious okay. little and i just noticed does she have uggs on were uggs a thing in 1996 i don't know but her shoes look very much like uggs Jeez, the fashion place is all over this episode <laughs> i am here f- it's what i'm here for pedantic takes and fashion policing here's a generational take are you uh, do either one of you know how to play jacks nope okay because you i feel like that's a generational you? thing where i because i like the whole time anytime i see anyone like playing jacks quote unquote i'm always just like i don't know how the fuck this is supposed to work like doesn't it like you bounce the ball and then you try to like grab up all the little metal jacks yeah the little jack metal jacks and seeing how many you can grab before the ball bounces again that was my understanding maybe i have no idea i'm I'm sure there's more in-depth rules than that but that was always my base understanding of how the game worked i've never played it yeah there was always just one of those toys that was around when I was a kid, but nobody actually ever played with or knew how to play. It's because we played with pogs like cool kids. There Thank you go. very much. See? Generational differences. That's because you're younger. See? Lizzie and I were playing pogs in the corner, and you were, you know, doing your Pokemans. It's fine. Tamagotchi did... <laughs> probably first. I did both. I did all of those. Thank you very much. Yeah, I did too. I'm just, you know, I just, I just let me be a boomer, okay? Sorry, Lydia. So go ahead. We go from there. We find out that Noah is the uh, son of the drunk that Carol was like ice cold scolding in the season premiere episode. Um, so back, what, 10 episodes ago now? Uh, Welcome back, Carter. That was the episode where we all sort of were remarking at how, how absolutely brutal stone cold Carol could be when she wanted to be. But this is a little follow up to that uh, where dad has gone to AA and has now gotten himself a job according to the uh, child and family services rep Doug is not having any of it he's white knighting all over the place that you know the American family's falling apart and it's your fault as a dad you know and it's just it's the same two actors the same uh same actor playing the dad same actor playing Noah so there's a nice little bit of continuity like I kind of appreciated how they picked up a little thread from even just earlier in the season and gave it some resolution that was kind of cool nice but then we go from there over to uh, Jeannie, who's telling Carter that he's got to tell Ruby how serious his wife's condition is because, you know, he trusts Carter. Carter's, you know, you can just tell he doesn't want to do it for whatever reason. Again, it's never really made abundantly clear why Carter is so resistant to being honest with Ruby. But he's, you can just tell he does he's not, that's not at the top of his priority list. Um, and in fairness, he is getting pulled in like eight different directions between he's got his patients to take care of besides Ruby. And then he's got, you know, Ruby's wife. And then uh, he's also trying to catch up on these uh, data sheets for Benton. So he's got a lot on his plate at the moment. But the the whole telling Ruby the, the truth thing is pretty far down at the bottom. So that's that might come back to bite him. Uh, but then we cut over from there to uh, Barbara Dean's daughter has arrived um, and she's just kind of she this actress actually does a really good job with with this part. I think she really plays up the kind of bitter child of an alcoholic or an addict um, who's had to probably more than once had to clean up the mess or suffer the consequences of their parents behavior. So she's just she's very stern, very stoic, you know, and she's like she wants to die 
uh, when she's told about the DNR, she says, you know, that she wants to die because she can't face the truth that she's an alcoholic. Uh, she would never admit to that. Um, and I just think she does a really good job. As somebody who had a very unstable childhood relationship with my father, for different reasons, he had bipolar disorder. He never really drank much, but, you know, when he'd go on his manic episodes and everything, or in his extreme depressive episodes, it was just this bitterness was ingrained in there, where for the longest time, it was like, no, you just you just don't want to take care of yourself. You don't want to take care of us in any meaningful way. You just get to a point where you, you look at the at the parental figure and you're just like, why bother? So yeah, I. it can seem a little harsh to somebody if you haven't gone through that parental disenfranchisement yourself, but I completely get where she's coming from. Sorry, Bruce. Then we go back over to Carter. He's trying to get, he's basically trying to offload Mrs. Rubidoux in any possible way that he can. It's like, oh, I'm trying to need to find this study and I need to find that study. I need to find this study. Like, Someone someone needs to take her off my hands. Jesus. Gets her into a neurology study just, like, instantly. Like, he just, like, talks to him on the phone for, like, 20 seconds. And they're like, yeah, we'll take her. She's a perfect candidate. Let's, well, they don't, we don't hear that. But, like, that we, it's, I assume it's something like that because of with how excited he gets. <laughs> you know, Ruby's asking, like, oh, can these people help her get better? You know, all this stuff. And Carter's just like, well, we'll, we'll see. And just Carter, stop fucking lying to ruby jesus god duh. i want to strangle him you you would be in the right Ugh. then keeping on the down note of our next audio mark is sitting down with rachel talk about him and jen uh-huh. thanks malik we got a couple minutes hey no problem rage you and i we need to talk you know that you will always have a mom and a dad who love you very much. See my fish? When you move back home, can we get another angel fish to keep Moby company? Yes, Moby can have a new friend. But daddy's not moving back home. The truth is, you are going to have two homes from now on. One with Mommy, one with me. Mommy and Daddy aren't going to live together anymore. I know you're sad and angry. But I want you to talk to me about anything. Believe me, Daddy wishes it could be any other way than this. Just, hey Jen, Rachel and I, we were we were just having a talk. That's good, Mark. Hey, banana fish. I'm sorry I'm late. Mm, Mommy got her cast off today. Come on, let's start packing up your stuff. We're gonna go. No. Come on, honey. Come on. You can do lanyards in the car. Stop it. Put your knapsack on. Get away. Oh, no, 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 no. That's enough. Come don't on. talk to your mother no like that. No way! I don't want to go! No! I don't want to go. Get on, away! Get oh, away! Come here. I don't want to go! Come on. No! His talk would have been so much better without that music in the background. It's a perfect microcosm of their whole relationship, though, that this whole conversation would go much better if you would do it together. Mm -hmm. If you would have this conversation with both of you and the child at the same time, I think you could avoid some of these pitfalls. Also, what the fuck is a banana fish? I ask again. Is it related to the banana phone? Like, did we ever get a satisfactory answer on what a banana fish is from the last time she called her that? Because I don't understand it as a nickname. I don't know if we ever actually, like, really discussed the banana fish in depth. Maybe she likes bananas and really likes fish as well. Um, It was a Japanese manga series from 1985 to 1994. There it is. That's that's what they're referring to for sure. Rachel Rachel Green. 
weeb. I couldn't say that with a straight face. <laughs> yeah. No, that's all I get when I search banana fish. It's just weird. It's all I'm saying. Listeners, if you have any better ideas for what banana fish is, aside from just probably a cute pet name that Jen thought was adorable when she said it the first time, let us know. From there, we get Benton showing up for dinner at Vucilich's house. And he walks in and Jeannie is already there. And she looks really, really nice in the dress that she's wearing. Uh, excuse me, you had the notes that Jeannie looks smoking in that dress. <laughs> you Thank know you what? Very much. I was toning it down so people could read the notes and get something a little bit different. <laughs> Plus, I, our, our listeners don't need to know how hella gay I actually am. <laughs> You're marrying me. My point is they don't need to know how hella gay I actually am. Again, my point stands. Look, you know, anyway. Jeannie, she thought she might need it, so she brought it. It's a recent divorce. It's really bringing out all that right? She's, big dick energy she's stepping out. <laughs> it's, just, it's just really nice to see her in something other than her ER outfit. She looks good. She cleans up nice. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, we go from there back over to Doug Ross White Knight program. Uh, where he shows up to talk with Kenny and Noah's dad. Um, as I mentioned, same actor from before. Um, and Doug just kind of browbeats him, shouts him down. You know, the guy's like, what do you want me to do, man? Like, I have a job. They they take the bus or they're supposed to take the bus. Like, I'm trying to I'm trying to keep my nose clean. I'm trying to do right. And Doug's just not having any of it. It's just really unloading on this guy. And Carol kind of stops him and pulls him aside. And she's like, look, man, you need to chill the fuck out if, if you – want to beat up on a father then you should go call your own so she kind of calls him on his own bullshit here which is good he, he needed that and uh yeah doug's not in a good place right now gang and then we have mark is checking up on morgan stern who's out of the suture room just in one of the treatment beds now smoking a cigar it looks like in the er he might just like have one in his mouth but it looks like he's smoking a cigar and all of the sudden bagpipes and we did not get this audio because holy shit there is a lot going on at once but there are bagpipes and all of a sudden morgan stern's family has come to see him and brought everyone along along with the bagpipes and drums and the haggis is this where he cuts the haggis yes yeah so he he gets to cut the haggis while reciting the poem he was so proud of and he it just it's just very sweet and um in a really odd way for Morgan Stern. It's a very sweet way to wrap up this little little tidbit. And then um Barbara's daughter is sitting in her room watching her sleep and she says, you know, oh I used to do this as a child, I'd watch her passed out, but I'd always be gone before she woke up because I was too scared to confront her. And then after that, uh we're gonna pop they pop back a little bit uh to the dinner party um before we have the ultimate resolution of that storyline. But uh, right now, uh, Benton and Jeannie are just kind of shooting the shit over over dinner and talking about just how bad Benton's surgery went. And just, he's like, he's like, I'm fucked. I'm going to be fired. Everything's awful. Woe is me. Fuck everything. Sad Benton is best Benton. That's not true. Actually, angry Benton is best Benton. But still. There you go. We go from there uh, back over with Doug he kind of is he's looking through the the window of the one of the treatment rooms he sees noah and his dad hugging and he just kind of storms away like why doesn't daddy love me we quick cut from over there back to the dinner party where uh Vuslich has pulled benton aside he wants to discuss something with him and i they sort of give the impression from benton's point of view here where benton kind of thinks this is where the bomb is going to drop where he's going to get fired or he's going to get kicked off the the research team but we come back and get the ultimate resolution on that here in a in a few minutes Uh, We cut back over once more to uh, Barbara's daughter who comes running out into the hallway looking for Susan because something's wrong. Barbara has gone into respiratory failure and Susan, once she kind of comes in and does her initial evaluation, she kind of just takes a stand back, uh, a step back because, you know, she can't really do anything because of the, uh, the DNR that's in place. And the daughter is kind of in full like spiraling crisis mode where she's just like, you know, do something, you know, fuck the DNR. Like, do, you know, she's, she's kind of like going back on everything that she had said earlier because it's, you know, now it's real. Now it's this thing that is present and right in front of her. She has to deal with it and she's having second thoughts. But Susan kind of stands her ground and is like, I'm sorry. You know, she was very clear about her wishes. There's really nothing we can do. And so she, Barbara, they let her go. And um, it's, it is a very, I will say it's a very like, powerfully emotional scene and and good on them for managing to to salvage a a pretty satisfying ending to an otherwise just kind of 
kind of middling storyline, nothing that really was too impactful. They managed to get a managed to get an honest to goodness moment out of it. So that's a good way of framing it. Yeah. And I'm really glad that they actually respected the DNR here instead of Susan having like a heroic moment where she decides that, you know, the daughter's reconciliation with her mother is more important. Yeah. Yeah, I was really worried about that. And I was gonna be like, no, Susan, God fucking damn it. But all is well in that regard. Situation sucks, but yeah. Susan did ultimately respect the wishes of her patient. And that's did what's right important. Um, then we circle back. We have the uh, last little bit of Vuselich, the Vuselich dinner party storyline. Uh, Vuselich and Benton are having a chat, so let's listen to them. Randy, or should we have some port? Uh, no, I don't drink. Don't drink? Well, how in the world are you going to enjoy your Cohiba? Castro's favorite, rolled on the thighs of virgins. Um, I don't know. I don't smoke either. Please, Peter. You're contributing to the appalling demise of social ritual. I tell you what. Let me just put this beside you. It will make me feel oh so much better. I'm sorry about this afternoon's surgery. I... I know it was disappointing for you. It was for me. It was. Dr. Hicks was absolutely right. I did overstep my bounds. You did. That's exactly what I expect of you. Angela Hicks is a superb surgeon. I've never known her to make a significant error. But the physician that is useful to me is the one who has the vision to keep one eye on the details while the other eye roams the horizons. Peter, to me, medicine is a challenge. It's full of highly skilled drudgery. There are plenty of talented surgeons out there, men and women alike, who simply want to perfect the practice of what's already been accomplished. My interest lies in what's beyond that, the puzzles, the impossibles, the risks. That's why it's been an honor to work with you. Is it? Really? Hmm. To tell you the truth, Peter, I really haven't been able to tell whether you like it or not. No, no, no. Believe me, it's been the best and hardest work I've ever done. Good. Good. That's music to my ears. I was beginning to fear that I saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself. I want to see it. I'll drink to that. Is it just me, or does Vucilich sound like a fucking Bond villain in that clip? Like, he's just very over enunciating yes. a lot. Yes. Bloody freaking duh. Yeah. He's... Like, that doesn't sound like him normally, right? No, no, yeah, he's definitely putting on a weird affectation there. Like, I, to me, it sounds like the the cadence and the, like, way he's kind of talking through his teeth a little bit, it kind of sounds like what 50 Cent would sound like as a Bond villain. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like faux British affectation. Like, just, ah, just stop. Talk normal, you freak. You can find him in the cigar club, a bottle full of brandy. <laughs> like, that whole that whole scene there makes i think the best argument for eat the rich that i've ever seen like i hate everything about that scene i hate the music in the background i hate his stupid library i hate his stupid alcohol decanter thing like i just i hate all of it he's like oh i have cuban cigars fuck off i rolled on the thighs of virgins yes yes it'll make me feel better if this is next to you like it's just oh it's like um it's it the voice it reminds me of in Ferris Bueller's Day Off when they're calling and pretending to be rich so they can get into the restaurant. <laughs> Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago. Exactly. We need uh Daniel's uh the popular court co-host Jake to come in and come on and uh, I feel like this is an appropriate place for his uh, Bernie impression. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, fuck, fuck of doctors. <laughs> Fucking hate this guy. Yeah, I was I was okay with him in the beginning, but I'm starting to get some real creep factors from him, and I'm not so great with Vucilich now. Yeah, I remember where his storyline goes. I won't spoil it for anyone who's watching along with us. But... Or for me, because I forgot. <laughs> Fair enough. But it's not great. Yeah. Cool. As seems to be with so many of our secondary doctors. That we get <laughs> right, we have, no, we have no capacity to get rid of any secondary characters other than at a fucking blaze of glory. Yep. So then Doug is at the desk in the lounge calling up his dad and he immediately hangs up when his dad answers. Susan walks in and just collapses on the couch and Mark walks in following shortly after and just goes, tough day, guys, because Doug's got his head on the desk. Susan's just 
crashed on the couch, and then he just pours them each a drink from a stash of liquor that he has, like, behind the fridge. <laughs> and it was just very sweet. Very, very nice friendship moment between the three of them, because we haven't really seen the three of them, like, bonded a lot lately. Am I right? Yeah. There hasn't really been a lot of bro moments between Mark and Susan or Mark and Doug. Yeah, no, Compared not really. to season one. Oh, here we go. <sighs> Literally, the only redeeming part of this entire episode comes in the last minute and a half. I don't know. The Morgan Stern stuff is pretty great. Yeah, yeah the Morgan, Morgan Stern, Stern stuff is, is fun. This is this is the only thing that I think is important to carry on from this episode, though. Like everything else, mm. I feel like is very dispensable. Come on, cutting the haggis isn't like the most one well, top five most memorable moments of ER history. More like top five no. anime betrayals because I never want to see a haggis being cut ever again, or say the word haggis for that matter. <laughs> haggis. Fair enough. But we end this episode with uh, Carter. He's in the trauma room. He's just drowning in paperwork right now. And then uh, Ruby shows up and they have a chat, if you want to call that. I don't know. Come to Jesus Uh, meeting. It's not good. Uh, There you go. Dr. Carter. I'm buried, Ruby. I've got all the standard to tabulate. I've got two pre-op histories to dictate. I've got AM lamps to order. You lied to me. What? The neurologist told me she'll never leave the hospital. Well, uh, he's her doctor now. You should respect his opinion. You knew all along, didn't you? I gotta get back to work. You were a doctor! And a friend! No, I was a fourth-year medical student who took care of your wife when she was on the surgical service. You gave me hope because I thought you cared. You should have told me the truth. I tried. I'm not a kid. You should have told me. Did her leaving the hospital today make her worse? I don't know. I trusted you. I spent two weeks treating her multiple medical problems. I dealt with social services. I arranged for her convalescent care. I fought with cardiology, renal, and in order to get her admitted here. I did everything that I could. We're not just old people. We have lives. You, you look at my wife and all you see is her problems. I see a 20-year-old dancer, 27-year-old bride, a 30-year-old mother. What do you want from me? The truth! She's dying, Ruby. Is that, is that what you want to hear? She's dying, and she's never going to leave this hospital. Thank you. I'm sorry, Ruby. Call me Mr. Rubidoux. My, 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 isn't it? If it isn't the consequences of your own actions. <laughs> Whenever I'm mad at you now, I'm just going to go call me Mr. Rubidoux. <laughs> call me Ms. Linton, Scott. <laughs> no, it's going to be call me Mr. Rubidoux. Jeez you know, hearing, hearing that back, like, that really is like an A-plus moment in a C minus episode. Like it really is like that, that moment is too good for this episode. It's so good. And so like, cause it, and the more I think about it, as we've been talking about it, the whole episode, like the whole, like Carter is sort of uncharacteristically a dick in this episode and kind of uncharacteristically flippant and just really wants to get this patient off his plate rather than you, kind of the usual thing we're accustomed to with him where, you know, he kind of goes above and beyond and correct me if I'm wrong, Lizzie, but like, I do feel like this doesn't happen again, or if it does, not to this degree. Like, I don't think he ever does this again, where he no, leads a patient on to think like, yeah, no, that's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great, you know, and then it turns out that the opposite is true. Like, he doesn't really ever do that again, I don't think. I can't particularly remember anything. Like, I'm sure there will be, like, smaller examples, like, you know, like, telling a kid, oh, yeah, your mom's going to be fine. And then right. later, like, when they know she's not or something like that. But never or, just like, out and out lying to an adult family member, patient, whatever, and stringing them along when given multiple opportunities to kind of reconcile it. He, this is, I think, the only time where he ever chooses time and time again, for whatever reason, that's never really explained, to lie to him so i think it, i think it's a good bit of character work that you know he does learn a lesson here and he carries it forward it's it's his first time pulling a doug ross yeah yeah that's a very it's a that's 
a great point. It's a very Doug move to pull. <sighs> Where sometimes it's just easier to dance around the issue than tell the patient what you know they don't want to hear. Right. Face the truth. You know, as upsetting just as it Just goddamn it, Carter. Goddamn it, Carter. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> It's weird because, like, you put the whole episode into the context of this last 90 seconds, and I think it does sort of improve it. Not, it doesn't like save it, but it, it, to me, the fact that we do get this big climactic moment between him and Ruby, and it, it clearly affects him. And, and like we said, unless there's some glaring example that we're all missing, it's a lesson that he takes to heart, and it doesn't really, it's a mistake he doesn't make again. I think that is ultimately, from a storytelling standpoint, I think that is quality. I think that's good. But overall, the episode is just, you know, I think I said this off mic, like this, this whole episode is just a 45-minute thesis on why uh, television series shouldn't be more than like 13 episodes. Because this is a filler episode through and through that just happens to have a really like A-plus 90-second clip at the very end of it. But otherwise, it's all just kind of there. It's nothing that really matters too much. And I think I would care more about this moment in general if it felt more earned. Like, I yeah. feel like I could have sworn that Ruby and Carter's storyline went on longer than this. I could have sworn it went through, like, most of the season. And also, just going along with that, like, Carter's heel turn in this episode, just coming out of left field, mm-hmm. just and then it resulting in this... I feel like you could have used a, like another episode or two of like checking in, like having having Carter and Ruby be like minor side characters, right? And checking with the storyline and see Carter's frustration grow with Ruby. Like here, it just like like I said earlier in the episode, it just comes out of fucking nowhere and it makes no goddamn sense for Carter's characterization. And uh, I, just, I, I I hate it. I have a linguistics question. Those are all very good points, and I agree with you. But I have a linguistics question. Yeah. Is heel turn from wrestling? Yes. yes. Is that, that's, that's a wrestling term? Because I've just heard it used generally, and I get it now. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's absolutely. I, before I got hooked on this wrestling, damn you both, I thought heel turn was just you turned on your heel and did a 180. Nope. Now I understand it means you're a bad guy. You turn into a heel and you're a bad guy. Yeah. Fuck all y'all. <laughs> uh, yeah. Guys, they've gotten me watching wrestling and I can't stop. WWE <laughs> Network during quarantine is a hell of a drug. So, yeah, I kind of wonder, like we mentioned earlier in the season, you know, we were sort of surprised that we were getting like the signature episode of of the season pretty early on. Like, I kind of wonder, like, if, you know, we I hope we didn't peak too early with season two. Because there's a lot of, like, just kind of middle-of-the-road... We, we've been in a rut of two or three in a row of just kind of middle-of-the-road ones, and I'm waiting for that next really great one to come along. I am hope I, I've peaked ahead a little bit, and I think next week's is going to be a little bit more kind of what we're used to. But there's definitely... I mean, it is the holidays, like, the, in and around the holidays. Like, we're in January now, so it's hopefully that they're kind of on the upswing, but it's, um, it's definitely in a, a little bit of a lull right now. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to peek ahead because I want to be genuinely surprised. As the person who remembers the least about this show, apparently, <laughs> I want to be our one to just kind of have that that naivety about the series. So I'm trying really hard not to peek ahead even at, epro- at, at episode summaries. Well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Uh, thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get access to the full season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and once our stretch goals are met, a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment, as well as monthly movie commentaries, where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, and we are at SettingTheTonePodcast on Instagram. Our theme music today is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. 
they can also find me on my other podcast of which we are going to be adding two new ones here very soon um, we have one called the pilots which you can find on instagram at the pilot episode pod uh, and we are also going to be adding one called you may remember me from you can find that one on instagram at ymrmf on instagram and laura where can folks find you at um, again, this week I am going to plug another book from my reading list, just to carry on with that. And I'm going to plug this week How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kent. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter. I am at RandomGamer, that's G-A-M-3-R. And I am also doing a Let's Play series on the Popular Court YouTube channel. So if you want to check them out, if you search the Popular Court on YouTube, should pop right up. And thank you again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week.